We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What do you think about the Laker team now? You follow the box scores of the games every day? Just the Lakers. You're kidding. That is really a compliment. I was pleased to see you smile at the top of our show because once the game starts, you have a game face. You don't smile much out there. I don't think you have to do things for money anymore. Correct. What's up, Laker fans? Welcome to Laker Film Room Podcast. I'm Pete, joined by Darius and Mike. And Lakers fall to three and four with a 108-107 heartbreaker. Shorthanded, right, come into the game. We get Torian Prince back, but Jackson Hayes goes out. And so all of our best laid plans about, you know, hey, Lakers can go bigger and look at the numbers of the bigger front courts versus the smaller ones go out the window before the tip. And then... In the second quarter, Anthony Davis uh, has what was termed a, a hip spasm that he left the game, came back, tried to give it a go again, left again, and said in the postgame that he will be back on Wednesday. We shall see. D'Angelo Russell gets ejected in the fourth quarter. We just had a spirited 10, 15-minute conversation pre-pod about the refereeing in that game. And we're not big, you know, talk about the ref guys, but... We're trying not to get fined, so you yeah, will just, hear just comments not, from us. Like, fined, the, exactly. Yeah, yeah, we're not going to get fined for our podcast comments today. That's right, so. that's right. Last thing I need is my supervisor coming in and be like, did you get the organization? Anyway, <laughs> but Lakers play valiantly, right? They come back uh, in the fourth quarter. I thought there was some really good stuff on offense. It was by far our best pick and roll game of the season, but they end the game with six non-G-leaguers available D, the, uh, the ghost of Chris Kamen was reclining somewhere uh, <laughs> yes. yesterday. I thought we played pretty well. It was rough. I, we missed like five good looks in a row down the stretch. The score was tied at 108, 107. I'm sorry, the score was 108, 107 with like 219 left. And neither team scored again, you know, yeah. uh, off of some some decent looks. But Lakers defended well, played, played well on offense. But sometimes, you know, when you're at the point where it's like, hey, we need Cam Reddish to close this game, like... You're in a tough spot. And so uh, I thought the Lakers made some progress yesterday in the big picture, but a tough loss, no doubt. It was a tough loss. And I think there was a bit of a frustration because of, as LeBron noted after the game, like some things that were out of their control and um, in terms of just like losing free points at the foul line based off of arguing and disagreements with the referees. And when that goes against you a certain way and you give up four points at the foul line in a game you lose by one, there's going to be some hard feelings, I think. I appreciated the competitiveness. I appreciate how hard LeBron is playing and his effectiveness. Mm -hmm. um, 
I appreciated AD giving it his best and trying to come back, even though he clearly was laboring at the end of that like third attempt to be in the game. I'm really happy about Austin and the progress that he's making Mm -hmm. offensively. He has seemingly found his legs and starting to find his rhythm within the flow of the offense. It was good to get Prince back. I thought he looked rusty Mm -hmm. early in terms of his defense, but he started to round into form a little bit more as the game got going. Um, Pete's point about progress, Mike, I thought that really showed up on the backboards and the competitiveness of the guards to drop down and really tried to clean up the glass. Austin had 10 rebounds. He was one assist shy of a triple-double. So there were a lot of things that I thought within the context of what had been happening the previous couple of games, I thought the Lakers took another step forward after Darwin had said, we took a step backwards. And so they sort of regained some of the momentum lost it just didn't come with a win. So from your vantage point, what was the mood both in the game, post game or, or from your vantage point at all? Just like the, the tenor of the team right now. I think the mood overall is fine. I I would start with Anthony Davis and that was a confusing one to try and figure out what was happening with it. Because just mixed with the way that the mix of the way that he looked after he first appeared to do something to the hip and then the report that we got was hip spasm uh, which is not something that you we've heard a ton like it wasn't a pull or a strain or Mm -hmm. you know the words that you usually use so then so okay so what does that mean and wait he can come back in and can he re-injure it if so and then he went back and so all of that essentially ending with him not playing much in the second half but saying that he thinks he's going to be fine for Wednesday's game uh, to me feels ultimately like a big win uh, just in that it doesn't look like this is a a real injury where he's going to miss time and that is great although I still kind of want to see how he feels today as we're recording it's on Tuesday but so that's that's the first thing as for the game itself yeah it felt basically like a playoff game uh both teams were playing limited rotations. Miami has a couple of guys banged up, but they basically played eight guys plus nine minutes for Thomas Bryant. And, you know, Jimmy, who has been pretty casual for Miami, for Miami up to this point, I think that's why they were two and four, mm-hmm. was not casual. He was ruthless, Jimmy, nine for 15. He made three of his four threes. He made all seven of his free throws, six assists, two turnovers. And then, bam, just attacking, you know, like a yeah. madman. Bam had 20 rebounds. A lot of those came the second half, I think, after Anthony Davis was not there to contest and yep. bother um, a bunch of them. But uh, and, you know, Bam was was just really a handful for the, the rest of the Lakers to deal with. And I it just got me thinking more generally about while the Lakers are banged up here and specifically without Vanderbilt and Rui Hachimura, the two guys that kind of allowed them to change the roster in terms of size and athleticism and length and all that by meaning that you can not only play them, but you can play Vanderbilt like at a smaller position mm-hmm. in a sense and just be bigger. They The Lakers not having that uh, just makes them, to me, a lot more vulnerable. And there are a lot of good teams in the NBA. And there are a lot of teams that are playing hard. And we just saw this in Orlando. So it's I the, the usage that LeBron has, have to have, has had to have and how effective that he's been and the Lakers are still three and four. That reminds me a little bit of of these last two seasons yep. when the Lakers roster was not optimal and they're leaning a lot on LeBron and and, and AD and they're still not winning. Um, and and so I just I think that that's the point that I'm trying to reckon with as the Lakers start to get bodies back over these next couple of weeks. But 
it's you know they're not going to be sitting atop the Western Conference. Uh, I, I think by the time that that happens, and uh, that's they've so far yet to lose at home. They've ridden a lot of that energy, but zero and four on the road now, uh, and and that's uh, that's tough. Yeah, and you got a Houston team coming up on Wednesday that I think's riding a three-game winning streak. Streak. Uh, they blew out Sacramento last night, and you know that's a team that's kind of getting themselves together. And Miami does not challenge the guards in the same way that an Orlando team does, or that I expect Houston to, in the respect that like Kyle Lowry at his age and Tyler Hero are not the, they're more on the athletic level of D'Lo and Austin than it being a mismatch. And so AD going out completely and just that much size to Mike's point D, like when you're missing three, four of your front court rotational players, it's just not possible to be big enough, right? We ended the game with Max Christie was the only non-G League guy that, you know, was eligible to play. And so when you dip below a certain amount of size, I think especially on this Lakers team, right, that you, it comes, you arrive at problematic places. And to Mike's point about it, reminding us of the previous two seasons, that was a big part of why the last two seasons went the way that it did. It was like, oh, we don't have a forward or we don't have a third large person to put on the floor here. And it just has this chain reaction effect that makes things difficult that I thought the Lakers navigated pretty well last night, all things considered. But it's tough to come up with wins in a in a league that that Mike was alluding to. Yeah, I think if you're trying to find a silver lining in this, the lineup still was balanced. Right. And so you've got Austin, you've got Prince, you've got Cam. Those are like good sized players for like a point guard, shooting guard, small, like modern small forward. Right. Like Mm -hmm. those are wing sized guys. It's the depletion of all of the depth. Right. And so and then Mm -hmm. you finish with LeBron and Wood. It's just like, okay, like LeBron's a big dude. Yeah, we had an okay lineup out there. It was functional. Yeah, totally. But you leave yourself zero room for error. When all of the backups then are gone, right? And so you don't have if Wood's not having a great game. And last night I thought Wood Wood played well. This is just an example. Mm-hmm. If Wood's not having a great game, then you don't have anyone else. There's to no go alternative. To, yes, right. It's just like, well, guess what? We've got to play Christian Wood. And the same with like Cam Reddish. It's just like, okay, well, Cam. I thought Cam played fine. He had an open look at the end. He didn't make it. Um, I wish that. Cam and Prince would have exchanged on like the weak side Mm -hmm. to put Prince in the corner, especially if LeBron's going to go strong right hand drive. Right. It's just like because the pass is going to be open is the corner pass, not the pass above the break. It's like like there there were a couple of things that I was just like, oh, I wish that was Prince in the corner instead. Mm -hmm. Anyways. But it's just like, okay, well, if Cam is playing so, well, there's no Vando, there's no Rui, there's there's no alternatives there. It's just like, this is what we have to go with. So this is why it's like, it was frustrating to lose. And like, I let out a, a guttural scream that my kids were like, what the hell's going on? <laughs> like when Cam missed, when missed, the missed shot, that yeah. three. Yeah, just because I was like, oh, it looked online. It was just, you know, a couple inches short. But overall, like, I like the competitiveness the team is showing. I like the fact that LeBron though not at his top gear, is still proving very effective in all of these ways in terms of being able to score the ball. I'd love for the team to get back to more of its defensive roots, but that's hard, man. It's like it's hard when AD goes out and it's hard when you don't have the support behind that. It's like they played LeBron and Wood the whole fourth quarter. 
because they didn't have Hayes to go to. Hayes sat with, well, with an ankle. It would have been helpful, I think, just to have another live body, Mike, but they just didn't. I wouldn't have minded a couple minutes of Castleton uh, in there. Just go go grab a couple rebounds. And, sure. uh, but but yeah, didn't didn't end up that way. So let's go to break here. And when we come back on the other side, Pete, you were messaging us this morning like, think I'm seeing some things on offense. So when we come back on the other side, I want to hear a little bit from you about what you're seeing. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Austin's really taken a step forward over the last week or so, particularly uh, within the context of the offense. I also think that uh, we've talked a lot about the five-out offense and how that creates single gaps, right? And so single gaps are just basically the results of that are the help defenders are closer to the guy with the ball. And so it's easier for them to help and get back to their guy. So it's harder to dribble penetrate. And it's not just harder, it's different the way you do it, like the angles you take, both driving and then your passing angles change. And as a result, Austin in particular has had a ton of deflected passes this season. Uh, And he had four or five turnovers yesterday, right? This isn't in a perfect place yet, but it's starting with, I think we're being more intentional about creating double gaps, like temporary double gaps. And so, Darius, you made a great observation in the Orlando game that we won at home, where Austin started to really gel down the stretch when they moved that corner guy out of the, like Austin would start on the wing and they cleared out the corner. And it was basically classic two-man game, right? The ball handler and you're big on one side of the court, three guys spaced to the other side. This has been basketball since I was a little kid, right? And... And Austin has been really productive out of those. We've also been running a lot of double drag screens, which also creates a temporary double gap that you could drive into. And so I felt I thought Dilo was the first guard to kind of figure out the spacing a little more. And he's played in five out systems before, but uh, Austin kind of getting his groove on those those side ball screens. And then there's it's more of like a mentality too. D is that the one more pass or like, like there's a lot of possessions where we take the shot and it's like, if you just moved it one more on this, we'd have a really good shot. And so there was one play where I think Prince ended up missing a corner three off of this, but Austin had the ball on the right side. Uh, we ran a, a double drag toward the middle. And so Austin's racking middle to his left and he passes it back toward D'Lo who had, oh, no, 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 D'Lo had cut into the lane on this. It wasn't a double drag, but basically D'Lo cut and then relocated back to the vacated spot, which is 
five out offense and motion offense is like pass cut replace are all of the principles. So so Dilo cut didn't have anything in the middle filled out into the the wing and Austin hit him with that pass and then you create the two on one and he swung it to Prince for a corner three. He missed the shot, but I was like, yes, that's the one right there, Austin, right? And there's more and more of those type of passes and reads that we've been having a conversation, D, about the the whole like does this does five out like fit this team's instincts? And your assertion yeah. is that it does not. And I think you're correct on that. I think that there is still places to like get value out of it. There's ways to like to keep at it for sure. Yes. But and, and and that's not to say though that I don't entirely disagree. Uh, I'm just not at the you know abandoned ship type of point. Um, but I, I've seen some progress in both like understanding the reads and also the mentality of like one more pass, pass cut, replace that type of stuff. I'm not at the like truck it either what i am is about like maybe leaning more towards the things that are more comfortable for you and then filling in i agree i agree with that with the other stuff to give you the change-up pitch i don't think like you're asking if we're making a baseball analogy and we're talking pitchers and the pitcher is greg maddox i don't want five out to be all of the off-speed like all of the off-speed movement stuff, which is his primary approach, right? Like mm-hmm. I want that to be the other look, mm-hmm. right? Is, is it, so I don't want to change Greg Maddox into Randy Johnson and be like, hey, this is our fastball. We're right. going to go to this all of the time. And, and ki- kids out there, Greg Maddox was a fantastic Thank pitcher you, yeah. for the Atlanta Braves <laughs> uh, in the 80s and 90s. And he didn't have the biggest arm, but this dude – could throw to the exact spot that he wanted yeah. on every pitch. Uh, he could locate wherever he wanted to, and he was amazing in that context. Darius had a Steve Atwater reference uh, yesterday too, who was like uh, safe, free safety for the like 1989 Denver Broncos. It's we always keep it uh, yeah. keep it fresh here at the LFR Pod. Tech Mobile, shout out. Tech Mobile, yeah, yeah, yeah. Tech Mobile references, of course. I have my audience, <laughs> Pete. I'm speaking to them. Yes, yes. Anyways. <laughs> I agree with what you're saying around the structure of the team. Like we don't want to abandon some of this stuff because some of this stuff will be super useful. And the Lakers do need a variety of looks. They can't just run the same stuff all of the time. If they become a predominantly like a hey, 90% of our offense are pick and rolls. Well, then guess what? When you get to the playoffs, That's right. teams are going to be like, hey, guess what? They're going to do pick and roll stuff. And these are the ways we're going to shrink the floor against them. And this is the way we're going to start to shut this down. And this is how we're going to end up with um, the ball getting or finding its way to Jared Vanderbilt on 60% of the possessions as a finisher Mm -hmm. when he's in the starting lineup, right? It's because you become somewhat predictable with what your outcomes are. That said, when you were talking about Austin finding his way, him and LeBron have been running these two-man game ball screens, which is a classic setup for them. And one of Austin's turnovers came on a play where LeBron Austin did a pick and roll and Austin had the ball. And it may have even been... um, Austin setting the screen for LeBron and then flaring, getting the ball and then forcing the switch. And now LeBron is calling for the ball at the top of the key being defended by Austin's man. Now the Lakers are in five out spacing here. So LeBron was at the top of the key and he just shouldered his man and tried to back down, trying to get to the foul line, but his guy held him up there. On the opposite shoulder area by the hash line is D'Angelo Russell. Right. And so there's three guys across the top of the floor. It's Austin on the right wing, LeBron at the top, top of the key and D'Lo on the other side. 
LeBron's guy is trying to deny him the ball. And so Austin's just like, I'm going to throw the skip. But the skip isn't open because Mm -hmm. the guy who is defending D'Lo is sinking to help take away the LeBron pass. But the help for the skip is like he's going to recover right to his man. Austin threw the skip over the top and D'Lo's man recovered and like caught it clean. It wasn't even a deflection. He literally just poached it right right from out out of the air. And so there are still reads like that where it's like the Lakers are like, hey, this is what we want to do. Let's create a mismatch on two-man game between Austin and LeBron. But they're trying to work that within the idea of a five-out offense. And it's just like, that's not the shape of the team. Mm-hmm. Right there. And that's so that's where I talk about the instincts of the players and what what their go to is and whether or not it fits. And I'm still seeing a little bit of that dissonance there that leads me to be like, OK, well, let's do more mm-hmm. of this stuff and adjust the spacing a little bit more to try to optimize what the guys are naturally trying to do on on a lot of possessions. All what you guys are saying about the spacing and how it affects certain Laker players makes sense. And I think that Austin is close to the top of that list. But let me just give you these numbers for a second. So Austin's first four games, 10 points, 3.8 rebounds, 2.5 assists, 2.3 turnovers on 33% shooting and 25% from three. Austin last three games, 19.3 points, 6.3 boards, 6.0 assists, 3.3 turnovers on 55% shooting and 38% from three. Uh, And four free throw attempts a game up from from 2.8. Austin playoffs last year, 16.9 points, 4.4 assists, 4, or 4.6 assists, 4.4 boards, 1.6 turnovers, 46% from the field, 44% from three. And I hate listing off a bunch of numbers, but the, the basic point is Austin, it took him, you know, four games. A l- yes, a little bit adjusting to the offense, but I think mostly just getting his actual game legs back after not playing at all in the preseason, taking time off after Team USA. And now he looks basically like Austin again. And I, I still think he has a, a level to get up to mm-hmm. as he gets an even better and sort of more regular, regular season shape. Um, but, you know, he should be the least of concerns, uh, I think, for what for what the team has. Other than like when he's on the court defensively with D'Lo and it's Prince and not a Vanderbilt. Um, um, when the team plays, when the Lakers play a team that doesn't have you know, Tyler Hero and Kyle Lowry, as Pete alluded to earlier in the pod, as the backcourt, uh, when they have more athletic guards that mm-hmm. are going to actually give uh, the Lakers some physical problems in, in that context. And Miami doesn't do that. You know, Houston has Van Vliet. Um, Dylan Brooks is huge, but he'll play up and he'll probably be trying to battle LeBron mm-hmm. uh, for much of the game. So it's Jalen Green then who's athletic, but uh, you know, I I think that it won't play out as much in that Houston matchup as it will moving forward. Yeah. Uh, so I, I just wanted to point out, though, like Austin is is pretty quickly back to being Austin uh, and, you know, showing that, that all the all of the things that we saw were not mirages uh, for the last year and a half. No, it's been great to see. And it's been a big part to uh, wrap up the point on pick and rolls, although we might talk about it in the next segment. Uh, game by game, our, our pick and roll points per possession plus passes at Denver, 0.90 points per possession, 0.65 against Phoenix, 0.86 against Sacramento, 
0.76 against Orlando. So that's the first four games, all really bad, right? You ideally want to be in the 0.95 and a, really around one point per possession uh, on ball screens to be kind of like median. In the last three games, that's gone f- from those numbers, 0.90, 0.65, 0.86, 0.76 to 0.96 against the Clippers, 0.95 against Orlando, and then 1.15 against Miami. And part of that was, I think, the LeBron and Christian Wood lineup. So let's take a break. When we come back, I want to talk about that a little bit. Darius, you brought up some of the two-man game between Austin and LeBron. Part of what makes that possible is a spacing five, right? Where you can turn LeBron into a role man without asking him to be your five defensively on the other end. And Christian Wood hit a a couple threes yesterday that um, were out of these types of actions that I was begging for earlier too, where it was like, everything's going forward, pop out, it's open. You know, we're taking more of those shots, which is great to see. And so as I was doing the research the other day about the big front court's versus the small front courts, the one anomaly amongst the small front courts were the LeBron, Christian Wood, no other big out there combos. And we saw that come to fruition a bit in the fourth quarter in that those groups, uh, and these numbers courtesy of uh, NBA Wowie on PBP stats, the LeBron and Wood groups with AD and Jackson Hayes off have played 36 minutes. They have a plus 28.3 net rating, offensive rating of 125.4 with a defensive rating of 97. Now, I wouldn't expect that defensive rating to stay that low, D, but I do think that there's something there. And this is a group that's super important once AD goes out of the game at the end of the first and third quarters and wraps around into the second and fourth quarters. Those LeBron-led groups, seeing a LeBron-Wood duo be productive in in uh especially on the offensive end. I think that the Lakers have something there, particularly if Austin is out there with him. So talk to me about the offense that you saw in the in the fourth quarter in particular. Oh man. So first let me just zero in on LeBron and Wood and Wood bringing exactly what we hoped he would from an offensive standpoint and why we thought he could be a good like greaser of lineups in so many different ways and like a natural fit, particularly when paired with LeBron, who I feel like at 50, he's still going to be racking right and getting to his spot on the floor and being able to like finish in traffic and Mm -hmm. like reach out that right-handed layup that he just seems to be able to get left-handed ones too. He, he's just so good. I I just don't want to gloss over the fact that like LeBron James still awesome. Right. But would being able to credibly space to the corner, I think to the corner is even like more important Um, Mm. just because it LeBron's read as a passer. He is so good at hitting the corner, man. And when he racks to the right, this is the same shot that he created for Cam Reddish. Mm hmm. It was just like he can make that skip over the top in his sleep. And Bam was like taking away so much of the passing angle. And Jimmy was pinching weak side. There really wasn't this huge window. And LeBron got it to Cam on target and on time anyway. He makes it look so easy and it's not. It's just not like the only there's like three people in the league who make that pass consistently. And it's like LeBron and like Luca is one of those guys too. like and like Jokic. Like they're the guys who are just like, oh my goodness. And all those dudes are massive. Anyways, in terms of what LeBron can do with Wood though, is Wood spacing to the corner and his spacing above the break and his ability to pick and pop. 
and his ability to pick and flare from the weak side. These are all things that are going to be super helpful for the Lakers in terms of keeping the continuity of their spacing. Right. And so defenses have to react to Wood a certain way. And when they don't, he is a credible enough shooter to make them pay. Earlier mm-hmm. during the season, Mike Wood was not hitting his three point shot. And it felt like there was he didn't yet have a rhythm for how he was going to get his shots. That rhythm seems to be coming to him more and more. And it feels like he is making the most of his opportunities when he is getting the open look. A funny thing about Woodshot too is like, I'm never quite sure if it's going in or not. He's shooting from the corner and you're losing the ball in the trajectory of like the camera angle. And so he's shooting these moon shots. These rainbows. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And I'm just like, where's the ball? I can't see when his shots going. That's one thing I've noticed is like when his shots going in, it has that moon ball, like kind of feathery, like, man, that's going to come down wet because it hit the clouds. You guys have listened to Stu long enough to know how Stu feels about flat jump shots versus jump shots with arc. And so we were sitting there pregame the other day and I, I was watching Christian Wood shoot and I looked over at Stu. I was like, Stu, look at the arc on this Christian Wood three. And Stu's like, I like that. Because <laughs> <So, laughs> it, it gets it gets up there, man. Yeah. And he's shooting it from so high just to start. But yeah, he's got a he's got a nice touch. Uh, and just this is it's not as stark, but so he starts out 0 for one, over two, like 0 for three in his first two games. And since then, um he's shot the three very well. On the season now, what is he at 41.2.7%? Yeah. So he's a like he's a career, you know, like 38, 39% three-point shooter. And I think he's going to get better looks if he keeps playing in LeBron lineups, you know, than he's had the last couple of years. Although he did play with Luca, and yes. so he did get some good looks last year in Dallas because of that. Pete, one of the things I was going to say is too is like, do you feel like it would be good for Wood to diversify a little bit more offensively and like roll? a little bit more than what he's been doing um, just to sort of mix things up? Or do you like him mostly picking and popping in order to keep the spacing alive? I like him mostly picking and popping and it really depends on who he's playing with. So to me, if there is like an AD or a Vando on the floor, and obviously Vando hasn't played, but that makes it more necessary for him to pop. If there yeah. isn't, if it's like a, if there's shooters at every spot and AD obviously his shooting the ball much better, but he's always going to be more of a threat toward the rim than than on the perimeter. So how defenses guard him will be more, you know, guarded toward the paint. And so I've really been begging for like a counter gravity from certain guys that would provide in a way where we only have a couple of lineups where like the rolling to the hoop, I think is is more beneficial than his popping. That said, like we do need <laughs> we do need that to be mixed in for for sure. But I do I do see where you're coming from on that. I just think that the offense is not at a it's at like a five out one oh one, you know, two oh one yeah. type of stage that I think that's yeah. coming down the line. Yeah, I would say we're like pre five out. We're yes. not quite even to yeah, the yeah. 101 like pre-algebra, area, right? Pre-calculus, yeah, yeah. You're <laughs> right. familiar with it, yeah. Mike, so before we wrap up, we've been the, – the team's just so hampered with well, with injuries. And I'm, I'm, I'm just trying to get a sense. I'm, I'm not asking you to break news here, 
or anything, but they need some of these guys back soon. And so AD is saying that he's going to play on Wednesday. It, it was great to get Prince Prince back. Do you have any sense at all of whether like Rui or Hayes are getting closer at all? Hayes obviously seems like he's day to day and there. And I think they even said that he could have played if it was um, a deeper part of the season. But I know that there are established timelines with Vando and Gabe, but these other ones seem a little bit more in the ether a little bit. And I'm just wondering from from your perspective, if you have any sense of how close that these guys are, because the Lakers could really use them. Yeah, I guess I'll start by just saying that things have changed in terms of the way that injuries are not only reported, but just how the shift has been to the if a guy could play. And like when I and when I started working for the Lakers, right, in 2008, and it was, if a guy is good enough to play, then he's good enough to play and he's playing, period. Now, if a guy's good enough to play, but maybe he's not fully 100%, then then the, the there's this, not just for the Lakers, league-wide, there seems to be the, let's hold him out for another day and, and sort of just try to get closer to 100%. And that's where you hear the term often, well, if it were a playoff game, then he could go, um, mm, yeah. but, you know, it's not going to go today. And I've seen that trend happen league wide. And I don't I will just say that I don't think that injuries are down um, because in in to to just this is a, a bigger tangent. But with the preseason games, you know, being not taken as seriously and with guys, I think, playing less five on five in the offseason and then the speed of the game, the intensity of the game and how mm-hmm. we talked a little bit to Robbie to Dr. Robbie Sika about this last year, if you guys remember that pod. Like, I think that that that's actually causing more injuries relative to the past where guys are basically just playing five on five all year. And maybe the intensity of the games is down a little bit, but the injuries aren't going up as much because guys are just more used to playing and the bodies get used to that cycle. Mm -hmm. And so I think like a a great example from this year is Devin Booker, who doesn't play much in the preseason, gets hurt, doesn't play for a week, comes back, tweaks again, doesn't play for three for five days, comes back tweak something different like I, it that's just a, a trend and i'm not a doctor this is just a compilation of listening to to uh to doctors and team people over the years and i think that there's a little bit of that going on with trying to figure out who's going to play and who's not right now for the lakers now Rui would be an exception to that because anything with concussion protocol right and like head or something like that is is more just you have to get cleared and and yet he's been warming up on the court the last couple of games which is like so he's that, that's where it's a little bit more difficult, but I don't have any specifics on it other than that. Usually when a guy looks good warming up on the court for a couple games in a row, it's it's you're surprised when he doesn't play that next game. And so I would be have some hope that Rui could return to play against the Rockets. And just that alone would be a big difference maker. Mm-hmm. Jackson Hayes was part of what I was just talking about, where it seemed like he could have he could have played. They just wanted to give him a better chance to get closer to 100 percent. And so that would be the short the short answer is that ideally you get A.D. Hachimura and Hayes all back for the Houston game, whereas Vanderbilt and Vincent are still we're still a ways away from them even getting the reeval. I mean, we've been watching a skeleton crew from the Lakers for the better part of the last three years. And it's frustrating from a fan perspective, right? Like, I don't like coming on the pod and being like, I mean, we lost, but we gave it a heck of an effort because we had six guys, you know? And there's so much of that around the league that I think it goes back to the basic economics of there being too many playoff 
teams and that missing that individual game mic like oh let's hold them out is like the price that you end up paying for that is so small that the correct choice quote unquote is almost always to sit them out but just from a fan perspective it makes it a frustrating day-to-day type of experience so hopefully we can get a couple of those guys back um hopefully we can get just a stretch where not everybody's healthy but can we have like you know nine of our guys ten of our guys in any given time anyway we may be uh, back tomorrow with a, an interview with a special guest. Uh, maybe not. If not, we will be back after the game against Houston. But until then, you've been listening to Laker Film Room Podcast. We'll catch you guys next time. James has got it in low to McHale. McHale wants to turn his double team. Just pass out of front, broken up by Worthy. Tip to Magic. Worthy dies on his belly. Magic scores. There's Magic, got it. Magic fires. It's good. They will. Lakers win the game. The Lakers win the game. Three seconds left. You're seeing something that's very rare indeed. A Laker to get MVP chance right, in, Boston. in Boston. Of all places. Are you kidding me? Kobe. Hard to believe. Are you kidding me? Lakers looking to push. Bryant spinning in the lane. Back for Gasol. Pretty pass. And it's back to a three-point game. Kobe Bryant picked up by Bell. There's the move. Two. Miss it. It's over. Shot clock out of five. Bryant. Yes. And that was a little tough to Albert Gentry. Add insult to injury, Kobe. I mean, what a shot. I mean, you can't defend that. Are you kidding me? 2.1 seconds remaining. Denver a foul to give. Jokic trying to disrupt Rondo. He puts it in. Here's Davis. 4-3 in the win. Oh, it's good! Anthony Davis has won it for the Lakers! James again. Oh, he hits another one. LeBron James putting together a closing quarter against the Nuggets. This historic 2020 NBA championship belongs to the Los Angeles Lakers. The Lakers conquer the bubble, and banner number 17 will soon hang in the rafters. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.